My question for you today is, do you make resolutions? Anybody here make resolutions for years, New Year's? Everyone? A yeah, couple? Well, you didn't have to tell that. <laughs> Could have made us think you were the one that actually did keep them. Okay, thanks, Carl, for being honest. Carl makes them, but he doesn't keep them, everybody. I know. They're not easy to keep sometimes, right? Resolutions are not easy to keep. And New Year's resolutions here, maybe some of them are like this for you. That's kind of what I think every once in a while. You know, you want to become a better person. You've had a whole year to do it, and then at the end of 2017, you think, man, whole year, and I'm not a better person already. I should have been an action figure by now. I don't know what's going on. But no, didn't happen. Maybe this is yours. You know, you're going to lose weight. You're going to exercise every day. You're going to go on a diet. Is that cake? <laughs> Distracted easily from your, from your New Year's resolution to make yourself a better person. How about that one? New Year's resolutions are stop making lists, be more consistent, and learn to count. Take a minute to, to soak that one in. So anybody got a New Year's resolution you've made or are making that you feel brave enough to share this morning? Oh, man, that got quiet quick. That got quiet real quick. Bill? More about Jesus. Man, don't, don't give away my sermon. More about Jesus, Bill said. Okay, so Bill's got more about Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody want to lose weight? Stop smoking? Start smoking? And, why be a quitter, right? Don't quit. You don't want to be a quitter. Here's, here's my New Year's resolutions. I updated them last night. so and I need to update them again. Yeah, I got to update them again tonight for 2018. But I am, I am consistent in my approach. I'm constantly working on several years back resolutions. You know, in the Bible, there's a couple places where uh, terms like resolved and uh, purposed are used. Daniel does it. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel says that he's resolved to not do these things, to eat this food rather than this food. And that's a good purpose. That's a good resolution. I'm going to do this. In Matthew, Joseph says... That it, or it says Joseph purposed in his heart, resolved. It's a similar word. Purposed in his heart not to put away Mary, or to put her away quietly, excuse me, to put her away quietly. So there, there's some purposing, there's some resolving that, that Joseph did. There's some purposing and resolving that, that Daniel did. And I often wonder if, you know, is it a waste of time for Christians to say, I'm gonna, I resolve to do this, I resolve to do that? Not necessarily, I don't think so. But there's a purpose to the resolving, like Bill says. And Bill kind of gave away the, the punchline to the sermon. But I, I'm sure you guys saw that coming a mile away, right? Because that's what we talk about Sundays. We talk about Jesus. We talk about being more like him. We talk about being more and more transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So man, where was this sermon going to go anyway, right? It's going to Jesus. So when I think about resolutions, I wanted to give you some things that I, I read from a guy named Jonathan Edwards. I, pretty interesting old-time theologian. And, and he said this, he said, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. That sounds pretty good. I'm unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. So far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. 
There's a lot of good stuff in that little sentence or little paragraph by Jonathan Edwards. A lot of good thoughts. Well, how do we keep resolutions? Do we even make them? 2018, what are you going to say? I resolve to do this. I resolve to do this. Well, what's the purpose behind those resolutions? Is it just to become a better person? I don't know. Bill this morning was talking about good people. There's a lot of good people in the world. But without Christ, a lot of good people are going to hell. And goodness is just, it's worthless without Jesus. Nothing makes sense without Jesus. This morning, I want to share with you three things. Number one, resolving sensibly. I think that's, that's part of what uh, Jonathan Edwards said there, it, and, and I agree with him. If, if I'm going to resolve something from one year to the next, then my res- resolution has to be sensible. Why is it sensible? It's sensible because I'm going to make these resolutions through prayer and study of God's word. What does God want from me? Well, sure, I, I don't want to do things that are going to take away from my earthly life, like let's say smoking. I used to smoke years and years ago. It wasn't one of my resolutions to quit. It was just a, man, I got to quit. And it took me a while to quit. I had to use those, those patches to quit. But eventually I quit smoking. It's a good thing. But that's not going to get me to heaven either. Whether I smoke or don't smoke doesn't necessarily get me to heaven. I could be a, a great Christian and I think I could still smoke. Now, I don't think it's good for my body. But it's about having Christ in my life, not whether or not I'm puffing on a cigarette. But at the same time, if God has given me this life and this body, then I should take care of it as much as I possibly can. And quitting smoking for me was sensible. And it was sensible because I was getting my life back on track with God. After a whole bunch of crud in my life went down, part of me getting back to God and back to Christ was getting rid of cigarettes and getting rid of friends, getting rid of the life that I used to lead. That was just part of my life, getting rid of that. So if I'm going to be sensible about resolutions, then I need to sensibly say, what does God want from me? Through prayer, through the study of God's word, maybe even through brothers and sisters. What do you think? Look at my life. Where can I be more sensible in my life? I need to resolve sensibly. The second thing is I need to resolve humbly. And why? Because like he said in his quote there, I'm unable to do anything without God's help, so I humbly entreat him To help me. Help me, God. Help me do this. Help me do that. Um, The ultimate goal for this, I think, for resolutions for a new year is not for you and I to be better people. It's for you and I to grow more and more to the image of Christ, which in turn makes us better people. But if I'm simply going for a better me, I'm going to miss out on Jesus Christ. If I go for a Jesus Christ, then I get the better me. And Jesus Christ. I get the best of both worlds here. But I have to understand that it's not going to be by me that I'm going to do this. It's going to be through Christ. It's going to be through God. Not by my power. Through his power. The fourth or third thing, excuse me, third thing is resolving dependently. That I'm unable to do anything without God's help. I am completely dependent on him. My wife was, what was it? It was a song this morning in the car as we were pulling in. And it it said, um, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And, and I said, you know, that's not quite true. And she said, well, that's, that, you live by that. And I've said that many times in my past. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I, I've said it kind of tongue-in-cheek. And I think it is partially true, but it's also partially dangerous to say that for me. Because what doesn't kill me makes me stronger means I can take a lot. Me, 
it, it has to do with me, I think, and my mindset. Who am I depending on? What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yes, in some ways it does. But there's a danger there for me to say, I'm the one in charge here. I'm the one in control here. I'm the one that does this stuff. I'm the strong one. And to not see God as the strong one. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger by God's grace, by God's mercy. It's him that I have to depend on each day of my life. And so these resolutions here, thinking about making resolutions, you and I, and where we're going to be in 2018, as we've said many times here before, I don't want to be just a better person. I want to be a, more, a person that looks more like Jesus Christ. At the end of 2018, I want to make a jump in my, you look like Jesus to me. I want 2017 to, to look different than 2018. I want to look better in 2018 through Christ himself. And for that, I wanted to take a journey this morning, a long journey. Um, hopefully it won't take that long. Through the entire Bible. I expected a couple sighs there. Since I didn't get it, we're moving on. Not tonight. No, I don't want to preach to midnight because you've got a lot of celebrations to go to, right? I, I am a bah humbug on the New Year's Eve thing, unfortunately. I, I look at the clock and I think, okay, so it's midnight. So what? Nothing's changed. <laughs> My wife is... It's a new year. It's the new year. And I'm thinking, it's just a pain to stay up and do this. I want to do other things. I might be up at 12, but I'm not sitting around waiting for to see fireworks. I don't care. Who cares? It's another year. So what? Yeah, banging pots and pans. Yeah, no, I got her, I got her cured of that. My wife used to bang pots and pans every New Year's. Yeah, it drove me crazy. She's out there banging pots and pans. I'm thinking, what are the neighbors thinking of my wife? <laughs> I'm married to a nut, and everybody knows it. I finally got her cured of that. Unfortunately, this year she may go back on it because I just called her a nut in front of all of you. But anyway, yeah, it takes one to know one. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. But I thought maybe for resolutions and for resolving to be a better person that looks more and more like Christ each day, this year, this coming year, maybe we should go back and instead of just looking at 2017 in our own lives, let's go back to the beginning of time, or our time. And let's look at God working through history and bringing about the best thing ever in our lives and in the lives to come. So what I'm going to do is we're going to start here, Genesis. And you don't have to go through all these books because you're not going to be able to keep up with me because I'm going to move through them. So you might not even be able to read that. Who can read that? Anybody read that? Okay. I was afraid of that. Not very many people can read it. Uh, but we're going to go through it and just listen if you can't read it. As Genesis, you see at the very beginning of Genesis, you see the seed promise. You see God saying, I'm going to bring Jesus about. I'm going to bring him about. Then you see Melchizedek. You see a form of Jesus in the Old Testament. You see Isaac offered. There's a lot of shadowing here of Jesus in Genesis. The very best thing in our lives from the very beginning of our time. God says, I'm going to bring him about. Genesis. In Exodus, in 12, you see the Passover lamb. You see the Day of Atonement in chapter 16. You see a lot of shadowing of Jesus in Exodus, from the start to the beginning of Exodus. In, in Leviticus, you see the offerings. Those offerings foreshadow Jesus. You see the priests, the high priest. You see all of this stuff. And that's just a shadow, a copy of the thing to come. Numbers 21, 6 through 9 is the serpent. You see no broken bones in chapter 9, 12. That's... 
That's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ being sacrificed. A beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and no broken bones on him. You see him being, being the sacrifice outside the camp there in chapter 19. You see Jesus being led outside the camp. See, the Hebrew writer said, just as he was led outside the camp, let's go. You see all of these things in numbers. Deuteronomy, you see Moses. Jesus says himself, look, I told you somebody would be raised up like, like Moses. That's me. Joshua, the very name himself itself is, is synonymous with Jesus. He's the commander of the Lord's army. Who's the commander of the Lord's army? Jesus himself. Judges, you see a, a, a deliverer from injustice and sin. What does Jesus deliver all of us from? Injustice and sin. In Ruth, you see the great-grandmother of David, and you see the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ again. In First and Second Samuel, you see the prophet, the priest, and the king. What is Jesus? A prophet, priest, and a king. First and Second Kings, you see a promise repeated in 9.5. You see chapter 5. You see a figure of the gospel, I think, in chapter 5. In First and Second Chronicles... You see the temple being filled just like us today. The temple is filled. The body is filled with the spirit. In Ezra, the key thought of that book, I think, is restoration. What does Jesus do? He restores. He brings us back to the, the potential that we should have. Nehemiah, chapter 7, there's priests. There's rebuilding the walls. Who rebuilds our lives? Who restores us? Jesus Christ himself. Esther protects his people. She protected her people. He protects his people. Esther 4.14, such a time as this. You've been raised up for this time. Jesus Christ himself is also the right person at the right time at the apex of history for people. Esther, that's just part of the Old Testament. Here's another part. Job chapter 9, 32 through 33. Actually, go over to Job chapter 9, 32 through 33. We'll, we'll stop here for this one. <clears throat> I'll get to chapter 9 here anytime soon. Chapter 9, 32 through 33. For he is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. What kind of a person needs to be between you and I, or between us and God? A mediator, an umpire, a mediator between us. Job is saying, who am I? I've got no umpire between us, but we do have one coming, don't we? Jesus Christ himself is going to be that mediator between man and God to repair that relationship. Psalms chapter 8, 3 through 4, he's the creator of all. He's the worshipped one. I mean, you see that throughout the book of Psalms. He's the creator. He's the worshipped one. Ecclesiastes, that book shows you a life that is lived without Jesus. You look at that book and you see man trying to find pleasure and joy and all sorts of stuff in everything else but God. But the last two verses sum up what is really important. Fear God. Keep his commandments. That's the kind of life that Jesus lived. That's the kind of life that Jesus mirrored for his disciples and for all those who come after him. The Song of Solomon, I think a key point in the Song of Solomon is redemption. You see that in those chapters, 2.16, 6.3, and 8.10. Redemption. That he's going to buy us back. He's going to redeem us. You also see a picture of a lover in Song of Solomon. I love you. Isaiah. You see the promised Messiah, of course, 9, 6 through 7, right? Wonderful counselor, prince of peace, all of these things. That's Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, the new covenant, 31, 31 through 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This new covenant that's coming, that's going to replace the old covenant, that is already replacing, as he says, this is coming. This is becoming obsolete because Jesus Christ is coming and ushering in that new covenant. Lamentations. 
I find this one interesting, too. You may have to look at this one later, and it's probably a little confusing on, on my uh, picture there, if you can even read it. But in Lamentations, I think a key thought is there's no rest without Jesus. When you look at now, when we look back at Lamentations, there's no rest without Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 3, he talks about there's no rest. In chapter 6, he says there's no, or verse 6, there's no pasture. In, chap, in verse 9, there's no comfort. And you see the exact opposite in Jesus. There is rest, there is pasture, and there is comfort in Jesus Christ. Ezekiel, you see the glory of the Lord. You see the shepherds, the bad ones that are not taking care of the people. You see the real shepherd that does take care of his people. And you see the dry, dry bones come to life. Who brings life? Jesus Christ himself. He'll bring anybody back to life. In Daniel, you see the coming kingdom and you see that fourth person in the fire. I believe that was Jesus Christ. I think it was Jesus Christ. See that man protecting those other men. Hosea, you see a faithful husband. In Joel, you see the one who sends his spirit. In Amos, you see the deliverer of justice. In Obadiah, you see the one who judges the evildoers. In Jonah, you see the great missionary. And like Jonah was in the, in the earth three days, Jesus says, I'll be in the, or the belly of the whale for three days. Jesus will be in the earth for three days. He says, I'm just like him. And he's just like him in the great missionary. In Micah, you see people scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And you also see the forgiver of sins in Micah. Jesus is the one who will gather his people, and Jesus is the one who forgives. Nahum 2.11 through 12 and 14.2, you see the avenger of God's elect. Jesus will avenge. God will take care of the ones who believe in him. Habakkuk, you see the one righteous that have faith. The, the ones that are righteous have faith. The ones that live by faith are the righteous ones. And who do we have faith in? Jesus Christ himself. That's the man that we have faith in. Yeah. Zephaniah 3 shows God's judgment on Judah and Jerusalem and ultimately the future and restoration of God's people. But it also shows the day of the Messiah coming, the future restoration, ultimate restoration through Jesus Christ himself. In Haggai, he tells us that he's always with us, 1.13. Zechariah 4, 6 through 10. Through him all things are possible, and the coming Savior is announced in Zechariah 3, 8 and 9, 9. In Malachi, you see the messenger of God. And I think John is talked about there, but also Jesus is talked about, the messenger of God. What's interesting is the Old Testament closes with 400 years of fulfilled prophecy, like, like my brother Bill said when I was saying last time, 400 years of silence, which is what I always used to call it. It's not 400 years of silence, is it, Bill? It's, it's fulfilled prophecy. It's, it's coming to pass. God says, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you see in those 400 years, God doing all of these things and ushering in his new covenant, his new plan. But it ends with somewhat of abruptly. The Old Testament doesn't end that way. The, Old, the New Testament ends with a blessing. The Old Testament ends with, get ready. The New Testament ends with, I'm going to bless you. Now go to the New Testament really quickly here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've talked about these before. I think each one shows Jesus in a different light. Matthew as a king, Mark as a servant, Luke as a man, and John as God. I think you see all of those in those four counts of the gospel. In the book of the Acts, you see the risen Christ and you see the work of the Spirit. You see the Spirit in action in the book of Acts. You see the one that Jesus said, I'm going to send you this. I'm going to send you this comforter. He's going to be with you. And you see him in action in the book of Acts. In Romans, you see the powerful gospel. You see the, the gospel that is that dynamite to blow away sin, to free us from that. 
You also see the just one and the one that justifies the ones who believe. You also see the righteousness of God. In First and Second Corinthians, I think you see Jesus Christ risen, Jesus Christ crucified, risen, the foolishness of the message and the messenger to some, but the power of the message and the messenger to some. You see all of that in First and Second Corinthians. In Galatians, you see the power of Jesus, the power of the cross to deliver. And when Paul talks about these things, I think, he says, it'll deliver you from sin, it'll deliver you from the curse of the law, it'll deliver you from the, the curse of your self-life, it'll deliver you from the world, and you find the cross in the new birth, you find the cross in the Spirit received, and you find the cross when you talk about bringing forth fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians, you see the heavenly places of Jesus. You see power, you see rest, you see victory. In Philippians, you see joy, but you also see that fellowship. That fellowship in partnership with working with brothers and sisters, but also working with Jesus Christ himself. In Colossians, you see Christ, our cosmic king in the first chapter. You see the conquering king in the second chapter. And you see the king with the cure for worldliness in the third chapter. And you see the king that is concerned for his people in the fourth chapter. In Philippians, you see a picture of Jesus in action. In Paul, or not Philippians, Philemon, excuse me. You see that picture of Jesus in action. You see Paul saying, this is what Jesus would do in this situation. This is what it looks like in real life with a slave, with a person. This is Jesus in action. In Hebrews, you see this high priest who is showing this, this better covenant that's been realized. In James, you see a Jesus life in shoe leather. And how can you not read James and say, man, that is practical application of Jesus' life. This is real life. In 1 Peter, you see our cornerstone and you see some problems inside the body, and you see some problems outside the body. And it says, this is how you live as a Christ follower when you have problems in and when you have problems out. This is how you look like Jesus. In 1 John, you see fellowship with Jesus, with Christ, with God, with the Spirit, and with each other. And that they're not possible without both. In 2 and 3 John, you see Jesus and the truth. And in Jude, you see Jesus, our keeper. We keep the faith, and He keeps us. You keep in love with God. And he's able to keep you from falling. In Revelation, you see the overcomer and the ones in him that overcome. And you see that blessing at the end of Revelation. And that's, that's a quick look through the entire Bible and, and just a cursory look. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't go to that. <laughs> just a cursory look of, of Jesus throughout time. That God's plan has not been an a afterthought. That there was no plan B. This has always been God's plan. And when I look at 2018 or 2017 or 2019, when I look back at my life, it's insignificant, really. Because what God has done has enabled me to not worry about making myself a better person. If I simply try to look more like Jesus, then I've got it covered. I will be that better person. He will make me better. He will transform me into someone better. I'm going to resolve to look more and more like Jesus every day. I didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea, so I put that in there. It's sparkling cider. Of course it is. Whether you make resolutions or not, if you resolve sensibly and then you resolve humbly and you resolve dependently, 
The ultimate goal of all this resolution for you and me, for Christians, I think, no matter what year we're talking about, should be this, that I resolve for the cause of Christ, for the cause of Jesus. If I'm looking at 2018, the thing I'm going to focus on the most is what am I going to do for Jesus this year? How am I going to live better for him this year? How am I going to get more of him in my life this year? How are we as a body here at Orchard going to look more like Jesus in 2018? 2017 is almost gone. What about the next year? You and I need to resolve for Christ. So far as all of this other stuff, the sensibly, the humbly, the dependably, is is agreeing with God and with His will, we can't resolve to do anything with a presumptuous attitude before God. The whole matter of making resolutions is not just goal setting so that we might have happier lives. We're called by God to live according to his will, not our own, for Christ's sake, not my own. It's not unto me, but unto him that all the glory belongs. I want to share another quote with you here, and one of the things that I want to end with. This one is from a guy named John Piper. Again, he's, he's a, I think he's a Baptist minister, but I like this quote. He says, how do you make resolutions? By God's grace, through faith in God's power, and for God's glory. If we make resolutions, let's do it by God's grace, faith in His power, and for His glory. That's what it's all about, right? Everything is about Jesus. Everything is about His glory. We consider the past. We consider the future. Maybe we should just say, let's not worry about the other little things. Let's just say, I want to be more like Jesus in 2018. I want to look more like Him tomorrow. And I want to look more like him the next day. And the other little things in our lives, I think, will start taking care of themselves because we are taking care of the big picture. We're putting more and more of him into our hearts than the rest of our life is going to have to fall in line if we truly are looking more like Jesus. It's a simple solution to a not so simple problem. How do we look more like Jesus? I want to share one last thing with you. I, I debated on whether or not to do this, and I don't think we're going to do the, do the whole thing. But I want you to turn in your books. Don't, don't worry about the screen, Ron, because we all got books. The blue book in front of you, 948. And since I'm, I'm calling an audible here, I didn't, I didn't let Ron know I was going to do this. So don't worry about it, because we're only going to do one verse anyway. But if we're going to resolve to be better people in 2018, let's resolve to do things for the cause of Christ and look more like him each day. And when I was thinking about that this week, this is the song that I was thinking of and singing this week. I am resolved no longer to linger. The very first line in this is great. The rest of the song is great. And maybe perhaps this could be a a marching orders for us this this year. But do me a favor, because we're going to stand right after this for for the closing song. So I I want you to stand up. For this, Like Art said earlier, if, if we don't cry out, then the rocks in the hills will cry out, right? Amen. So today I want you to put the rocks in the hills to shame. All right? Put them to shame this morning when you sing this first line of this song. And when you think about 2018, going into the next year, I want you to say, I want to look more like Jesus every day in 2018. Because I'm resolved no longer to do anything else. 
I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. If you've resolved in, the, in your heart that you want to be more like Jesus, do that this year. Be like Jesus and do what the Hebrew writer says there in chapter 12. You haven't striven to the point of shedding blood yet. At least I don't think you have. Keep your eyes on him. Focus on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to keep our eyes on Christ this year. Look more like him. Each day, resolve no longer to linger in anything that does not really truly delight. Resolve to be more like Jesus this year. Do that today and in the next year. And I'll see you next year. (laughs) Let's sing our closing song.